We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Everybody, Steve Sons Fidelium coming at you with Eduardo Ordonez on Carlism, which is something that pretty much everyone probably has no idea what I just said, but that's why we bring <laughs> him on to discuss things. So, Eduardo, uh, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Steve. Good afternoon, Arracha uh, Leon, that we said uh, back in Navarra, and uh, buenas tardes. Uh, very honored to be here. Um, a great, um, I'm not a great, but a, a, a good follower of your Census Fidelium program for, for several years. Uh, my wife is a great follower of yours. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm very happy that you are giving me this opportunity to talk about Carlism. Um, despite my accent, I want to let your audience know they're going to have to really pay attention. I'm sorry for that. You have an accent? I, I haven't noticed. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I... <laughs> yeah, people say like, hey, where where, where do you come from? And I say, Fort Worth, born and raised. <laughs> See, <laughs> my thing is, all right, I'm from, uh, I was born, I was grew up in South Carolina in Cowpens of all places. So okay. uh, it's a little small, Ponite down one stoplight. We had a parade when a Hardy's open. This is that small. Uh, yeah. Everybody knew each other. So people, you hear how I talk. I don't sound like I'm from Cowpens. So I would always get yelled, hey, you you know, you Yankee, whatever, you, you're northern. I go up north, I get called redneck. I come down here, oh. I, I get called, I, I get, I get other things. things. So you, you get, get damn Yankee. Oh. But so I was born in Florida, so I just say I'm Cuban. <laughs> hey, beautiful Cuban accent. I heard that, that, that Miami was the closest city to the United States of America. Huh? Oh, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, Stewart, Florida. So I was, uh, let's see, from Miami, about an hour and a half, two hours, just north of Miami. So on the west of the east, east coast. I had the opportunity to be in Florida um, several times, and, and it's a state that I really like. I mean, in reality, I really fall in love since I came to the United States with all the southern states. Yeah. From Texas. I don't know that much about the the left side um of the of the state but from texas going all the way to the right uh to florida i uh, have been opportunity to be of course in louisiana but um you know mississippi uh, yeah. alabama well, i had great vacation in dolphin island okay. Alabama. yeah 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 yes. now there's a lot of history on that too because when georgia during the the raids from south carolina we had as yeah. we get the seminoles which when i'm doing a state state by state history of catholicism in there but if you ever, if people, here's a preview. The word Seminole comes from when these, basically it was probably anti-Catholics came down from South Carolina to right. go after the the missions in Florida, killed all the priests and killed a bunch of the Indians. So the Indians were going around going, what? They're wanderers, hence Seminole. Right. So that's where they got that. And then because of Georgia being the buffer, they forced everybody yeah. to go right across the Gulf border. So, yeah. That is not in the books of history. No, 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 no. There's quite a few. That's right. There's some when I get to the South of North Carolina, especially those 
you're gonna I got a couple books from especially during uh uh the 1860s you know, like Sherman's March uh, yeah. where Sherman's first uh, attacks, according to a guy that lived in that time from down mm. the street, was the Ursuline Convent in Columbia, South Carolina, where they burnt the convent down. That was the first target that he met. But anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But you, you nail a point, eh? And I think that we can hammer this through this um, uh, uh, talk uh, during this program, which is that the revolution always attacked Christianity. Yes. One way or the other. Yeah. It can be a direct target or it can be an indirect target, but mm -hmm. always is going to be chasing uh, Christianity. Right. Always. Exactly. So, Carlism. What is what go. is this? Well, um, very good question. I mean, uh, I have to really think about the answer because probably there are multiple answers. It depends of the angle, you know, that you are looking at it. I would say that from a historical perspective. Um, Carlism is the continuation of Christendom, okay? But uh, obviously in, in, in Spain. Um, from a theological or, or, or religious perspective, uh, Carlism will be the, the, the great defender of the church in politics, in society. Um, so there are different ways to uh, define it. But what it is, uh, just in, in short, is the oldest and existing counter-revolutionary movement. Um, that is something that I, I really like to point out because, you know, we all get very excited when we read back, you know, uh, the heroic martyrdom of people in uh, Lavender in France or, you know, the Cristeros in Mexico, uh, etc. So those were um, wonderful examples of, 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 of Catholic um, uh, testimony uh, you know, and, and give up their lives and fight for the faith, but they were concrete um, um, movements. They have a beginning and they have an end historically. Uh, Carlism, in contrast, is the movement, the political movement that is, is still ongoing. And not because I'm uh, having my red beret right now and my Carlist flag behind, uh, which, by the way, this used to be the flag of Spain. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's 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 why the Carlists um, have this flag. Uh, but yeah, Carlism is is an ongoing movement. Um, it, it has a whole society uh, behind. The thing is that it's a proscribed society. If you want to put it that way, because we are the losers. We are the ones that we uh, lost all the wars uh, that we were involved, uh, except the one in 1936. But that's maybe I'm going too too ahead of time. But um, that's a, a compromise war. I'm talking about the Spanish Civil War, uh, where Carlis, more than 100,000 troops uh, were involved. Um, but they they choose to fought, to fought for God and kind of leave the other parts of the Carlis motto that we will we can go in detail later on um, aside. Uh, was kind of like a compromise. And that was a victory because that was wonderful. It was won. Um, but other, other than that, we are always the underdog. So that's what Carlisian, but it's always the underdog. That means we still exist. You mentioned uh, your red berets. Is there, what does it stand for? There's something to it. It's not just because you like the color red. Uh, right, 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 right. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, well, the beret, um, there are different types of berets in, in, in Spain, or there was, and there's still some. Um, the ones that are more wider, 
are typical from the northern uh, part of Spain. You know, I'm talking more about the Basque provinces, Navarra, and also Iparralde, which is the French uh, Basque part of the country. It's in France uh, legally, but it's, uh, it's, it's part of the Basque country. And uh, those were like wider like this one. Now, they were very popular before. I mean, they have to do with, uh, it was like a typical, uh, you know, cloth garment that you use uh, back then, it protects you from rain, uh, it, it protects you from the sun, uh, you know, and also it's a piece of modesty, you know, it has it has a modesty and dignity to it uh, for, you know, from a farmer that would use it for more practical purposes to the gentleman that is walking or going into church. The priest, most of the priests, um, especially back then, they wore uh, chapelas, which is how they call them in Basque. Mm -hmm. Now, why red? Pues very simple. And very practical uh, uh, answer to that, which is like once you were in war and you were fighting the liberals in the first Carlist War, 1834, um, you have both sides were in chapelas. Now, who are yours? You know, you need to distinguish who, you know, the Carlists from the liberals. And uh, so Don Tomás de Zumalacárregui, who was one of the, the most important general uh, in the first Carlist War and, well, an amazing man. Um, and soldier, he had the idea to say, hey, we are going to wear a red. That way we can point out which ones, which are, who is in our side and who is not. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what happened. Huh. And, and from there, it's true that there were other colors. You know, the cavalry also were uh, white uh, with a yellow pendant uh, falling. Um, but the typical to wear on an everyday basis is always black or navy blue. That's what it has been. Uh, so where is the term? Carlism come from? Yeah, Carlism comes from uh, Don Carlos, uh, who was the uh, Ferdinand's the seventh brother. And Ferdinand the seventh was um, kind of the legally the last um, uh, Bourbon king that he introduced a change in the semisalic law at that time. And that's, that introduction, uh, there has been a lot of debate, but that is at the source of the, the Carlist movement was illegal. And what I mean by illegal is that it was not in accordance with the laws, the existing laws of the kingdom. Um, because the semi law was at that time a part of our tradition. So after his death, the rightful heir to the to the throne of Spain will be will have been Fernando's brother, Carlos. Um, and instead of that, by changing the semi law, this illegally way, uh, I would say, uh, the throne came to his daughter, who at that time was two years old. Something, I mean, obviously that, that that's just a fact, but um, once you dig into it, uh, especially for people that are not acquainted with Carlism, uh, obviously it doesn't make sense from the logical point of view, you know, but you can understand or you can see that there is something else to it. You have to think like, okay, how, why he wants to, make that change why it comes to you know it had to go to the brother why it goes to this two-year-old girl what she knows about uh ruling a kingdom or the kingdom of kingdoms all spain and new spain oh, it's, it's bananas uh but there was yeah that by that time there was this liberal movement that was already um a, a, a clear minority but was uh, financially powerful that was already in the courts uh, in the kingdom it, it was making his way and and he got to his wife fernando's seventh wife um 
who was his fourth, uh, I mean, was his fourth wife and his niece. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that, you know. And um, but anyway, that happened, and she was of liberal mentality, and she said, you know, I want, uh, I want to, uh, you know, to have the, the the kingdom, the crown on my own, and she's the one that, you know, I believe uh, combines Ferdinand VII to make that change. Like he knew it was wrong, you know. Um, on the other hand, we have Carlos. Uh, his brother was a staunch Catholic, uh, traditional, uh, very in love with the the, the traditions of uh, of the kingdom and and the way Spain was, mm -hmm. um, and and very upset with all the liberal revol minor liberal revolutions that were taking place um, in Spain after the War of Liberation. The War of Liberation happened in 1808. This is important because Spain was invaded by the Napoleonic army, okay? And it was not just a French invasion. It was an invasion that uh, tried to put by force, impose the liberal uh, notions, the liberal concept, the liberal mentality. And um, that was a shock for all the Spaniards. I mean, uh, eh, even though by facto uh, the Napoleonic uh, forces or army uh, invade Spain, the whole of the country was against it. And that's why they, they I mean, they made the life of the French troops so hard, um, so difficult to bear in, in, in anything, in the supply of food, the supply of drink, uh, anything that that the French didn't want to stay there. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that, that was the mo a very good victory, actually, you know, to get them out. But not because they were French, Steve, that's the important thing, it's because they were liberal. They were introducing uh, by force these liberal ideas. So when they left, unfortunately, some of that poison stayed. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and he found favor in all these um, new, how do you say, bourgeois uh, of people that, you know, um, start to cultivate these mentalities. And, and, and you know, their aim uh, was to chain Spain and, and, and to something that it was not. And Carlism was came with Don Carlos as a move, movement of resistance to all of that. What does Carlism stand for? Well, um, basically four things, and in this order. Uh, first, God. Then, fatherland. Fatherland is important here, especially, I think, for Americans, this is a, a point that we can touch upon. Fatherland is not the nation, is not the state, is fatherland. That's, that's the closest concept to country. And I will explain why. Um, and then you have, I would say the best English word, word to, to, to define this will be charter rights. In Spain, we say fueros, mm -hmm. uh, charter rights. And then last, uh, the king, the king. Uh, it's, it's important uh, because uh, no, no, we have to make an effort of clarifying this concept because what most people now with a modern mentality that we have all grew up with, uh, we may have a different concept about this God, well, maybe God not so much, hopefully, at least in this program. Uh, but, you know, fatherland, um, charter rights, and kin that, you know, that the Carlist of all had, mm -hmm. you know. Um, God basically is the first one because God is God. <laughs> and, and we are nobody to tell God how he has to do what he has done. 
uh, you know, our duty is, 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 I mean, Ten Commandments, you know, God is first and we have to, you know, worship him, adore him, and, and, and he's the source and creator of all. So, so God is first. Um, then we have as a second fatherland. So fatherland needs to be understood here as the sum of families that occupy a portion of land, wherever that land is, in this case, Spain. Um, but it's families. And who's the head of the family? The father. So if the father if the father is the head of the family, who is the king? The father of the fathers, the, 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 the large family. Mm -hmm. So that's how the concept of traditional monarchy gets in, okay? Has nothing to do with this despotical notion of the tyrant, nothing to do. Um, so fatherland is that, you know, there is, there is no, and there was not, uh, that understanding of modern nation or a, or a modern state that uh, usurped the right to say what is right and what is wrong and what freedoms do we are to have and we are not to have. And no, 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 no. Fatherland is a whole different concept. Yeah, we're doing a, I'm doing a thing with uh, Professor Livingston on what secession is. And he brings up how before the French Revolution, you had all these little nothing was united into one state but after the french revolution there you got spain france exactly everything exactly. was united exactly that's a very good point steve because it is the creation of the state as an artificial uh structure to to manage and control political power uh the power um the the problem and and it's very difficult to see it now because we are also divided into the liberal categories of right and left uh, conservatives and progressives and we don't understand or we don't see or it's hard to see that all are both sides of the same road to put it that way you know i always you know to to i like i like to put this example you know is the liberal liberalism is like a road that goes to from point a to point b and then you have two cars to be in you can have a fast car and that will be the left, the progressivist. And then you have a slower car, which is the conservative car. Mm -hmm. But both cars are going the same direction. Uh, it's just that uh, one is pulling the other. Yeah. You know, one goes at 100 miles and the other one can go at 20, 30, 40. But it goes the same way. Sooner or later, they are going to arrive at the same port, you know. And I'm sure everyone has heard that from uh, our friend Charles Colomb, who mentioned that the left-right idea came from... The FR, the French Revolution, because people sat on the left, yes. and the other chairs were set up on the right. And that was the left, and that was the right. It's amazing how such a small practical idea had so much influence oh, <laughs> on <man>. politics. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, Carlism opposed all of that. That's, um, that's what Carlism never can be understood as an ideology. That's a very good point to touch upon, too. Because... It was never, and it cannot be, uh, an ideology. It can be a, a political um, body of thought. Uh, it can be a philosophy, um, but never an ideology, because all ideologies come from modern, from come from liberalism. You know, the, the liberalism is the source of all the modern ideologies. I don't care if it's nationalism, mm -hmm. if it is communism, if it is socialism, if it is uh, extreme wing, right wing, all of it. Um, so Carlism had nothing to do with all of that because it fights the mother of all of those, which is liberalism. That's the arch enemy. Exactly, exactly. And liberalism came about. So I mean, 
you you cannot i mean we need to go back and think in history you cannot reflect on christendom and then uh, some 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 guy had some ideas about liberalism and boom from overnight they are there no no i mean it's a process of demolition you have to destroy um christianity and in order to do that the, we all know you know go back in history have been like a continuation a con, uh, of, of this demolition you know and start with the political structure first mm -hmm. destroying christendom from 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 the political aspect of it you know uh, because christendom protects the church and 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 and, and let the church go inside out in in, in their mission of uh, evangelizing and spreading the gospel. So the military, the, the, not the military, but the political structure, which includes the military aspect, has the duty to protect that. It's almost like Christendom secures the land for the church to do its mission, mm -hmm. you know? So that is what, that's Carlism. That's Carlism. It's the it defense of those structures. How did it begin? Pues it began in 1834, uh, like I said, when, um, you know, uh, Don Carlos found himself that, hey, you know, my brother uh, is giving the, the, the crown uh, to his daughter and it belongs to me. But now Don Carlos was such a pious person and, and, and prudent to the, I would say to an excess, uh, that he didn't do anything and wait until the moment that his brother passed away. Okay. By that time, um, the intentions were known. The intentions of the liberals uh, were known, and they knew that that was the move. But many people were pressuring uh, Don Carlos for, hey, pronounce yourself. Um, say something. I mean, th th this is wrong. Uh, and he said, no, I won't say anything until my brother passed away. And once he passed away, then he made his pronouncement, and he said, I am uh, uh, the rightful king. And, you know, we go to war. Well, speaking Basically. of wars, did they fight in it? How many wars did they fight in, or did they fight in wars? Yes, I mean, Carlism um, has been um, involved in many wars. Uh, funny because they have been involved in, in our own wars. Uh, that uh, because the liberal won uh, those wars, they call it Carlist wars. You know, they was blaming on us. <laughs> but but we have the first Carlist war, uh, eighteen thirty four. That was seven years of war. That's probably, uh, on to me, from my personal opinion, the most important, because that's the one that actually changed Spain all the way to now. That's the one that has more importance, even more than, uh, than the 1936, I would say. So there was that. Then you have the Second Carlist War. That was very brief. and was, uh, was very uh, located in the northern east portion of Spain, in Catalonia, parts of Aragon, etc. And then we have the Third Carlist War in 1872 uh, to 1876. So we have three major wars. Now, but you have to see this, Steve. Those are the wars, official wars. But okay. But during the interregnum, to put it that way, in, in those times, there were um, uh, hostilities. Mm -hmm. It's all the time. Because, again, the purpose of the revolution was to chain Spain, to make Spain something it was not. So uh, the clergy, the priest, uh, the people, uh, everyone has, is like, you are trying to make us live our lives in a whole different way. It has nothing to do with my heritage, my traditions, my way of understanding uh, life, truth, and everything, and, and religion, obviously. So it, it, it takes time. It takes many, many people 
dying and many generations being replaced until you actually can inculcate the liberal mentality, which we have now. So has the movement involved uh, clergy and martyrs in the ranks? Yes, yes. I mean, you can imagine in all these wars, uh, many people that have died for the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's 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 what the Carlists were fighting for, you know. Um, so, yeah, you have, um, well, let's go by parts. On the one hand, you have the clergy involved. Yes, of course, the, the clergy had to be involved. I mean, that, that, that was, um, you know, Carlism is, is kind of like the political expression of the Catholic faith. You know, so, you know, we have this idea nowadays that um, a Catholic can be, a, can be Catholic, go to church, receive the sacraments, and then have a total different public life. Mm-hmm. Or, a, 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 you know, no, no, you are, you are being a half-Catholic, a halfway Catholic, and if you are a halfway Catholic, chances are you are in sin. You know, so that's not <laughs> an optimal uh, um, horizon for us. So Carly saw that right away, you know, uh, I, I cannot be a Catholic, live my Catholic life and, and be in a society that is not Catholic or isn't I Catholic, you know, at some point that I, I have to give testimony of my faith publicly. Um, so the clergy were highly involved. I would say that, I mean, it's, it's hard to give percentage, but 90, 90% of all the clergy was in Spain, the whole of Spain was, was Carlist. Very few were not. Or very, or very few were not outspoken in favor of Carlism. Now, another thing is the politics, you know, uh, Rome and the Vatican and, and you know, and uh, the, the church, and they have to have uh, political relationships established and uh, whoever wins, you know, um, what which are, is fine. What are some big names that people probably wouldn't think of? That were... Well, I will say, for example, uh, Father uh, Sardan Salvani, uh-huh. who was the author of the book Liberalism is a Sin. Uh-huh. He was part of the integralist um, faction or group, uh, which was a group within Carlism that uh, took off for a little bit and then it came back. Um, so he, he was very Carlist. Uh, then you have San John Bosco. That even though he was not um, a Spaniard uh, by, by birth, uh, but, but you know uh, he was very, very, very um, loyal to the cause, and, uh, and he's speaking. What, what is his um, these dreams uh, that uh, that he collected in, in in works? Well, he talks about that there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have San John Bosco. Um, then you have a very close relationship between San Pius the Tenth. And uh, the future Carlis Clement to the throne, Javier Borbon and Parma, Xavier, because he used to go to pray to uh, the chapel that St. Pius X prayed. And he saw him le- levitating. Huh. And it's, it's a story that has been told from Carlis to Carlis, from families to families, you know. He saw St. Pius X levitating, and St. Pius X told him, Don't say anything until I die. So he did, you know, yeah, so yeah. he did. Um, so and another very interesting um, story is with Charles, the King Charles VII. Um, I think this was with uh, Pope Pius IX. Now I'm questioning if it was the ninth or the 10th. Uh, one of the two. But the, the, the beauty about this is that they used to have lunch and, and get together very frequently because uh, Charles VII uh, was living very close in Rome to the Pope. And, and they were friends. And Charles VII gave him uh, a piece of jewelry 
as a token, uh, you know, to the Pope. And the Pope, um, I think it was on Pius X, actually gave it um, to some of his assistants that they took it to the pawn shop and with the money, give it to feed the poor. Charles VII found out about it and he sent one of his aides, aides to go and purchase that, give it back to the king, and the king in the next lunch, give it back to the Pope, so the Pope will do the same thing over and over. And that was the way to feed the poor. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's so always the, the relationship has been very close, very close um, uh, at a personal level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, people probably won't know this, but you say Spain was the main resistor to the French Revolution. Yes, yes. Um, well, no, actually, Spain sent an army uh, to to aid uh, against the 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 Assemblée Nationale uh, Francesa against the 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 revolutionaries in, in France, but you know. It was not successful, mm -hmm. but they saw, you know, and, and that was um, Charles de Bourbon and, and this king, he saw what it was coming to him. And he said, I better put a stop of this because otherwise it's coming to, you know, it's coming to Spain. Um, but, um, and, and certainly that's what happened. Then then we have in 1808, the, the Napoleonic uh, troops already fully liberal uh, invading Spain, uh, you know, to impose uh, the liberal ideas. So that's exactly what happened. Um, that's, historically, that's, those are the facts, you know, but going back to uh, what we were discussing before, if you go back to 1642, I guess, uh, with the Treaty of Westphalia, that's when, that's when actually the modern notion of a state mm -hmm. solidified. And uh, it's, 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 it's important to see the correlation here because that France, pre-revolutionary, was already imbued of this spirit that the state, the state is the sovereign, is a sovereign entity, and um, and you can see in the in the words of the king, the French king Louis the Fourteenth, he said, um, basically. I'm not gonna say it in French, so I don't uh, ridicule myself before my French uh, friends. But what he said is like, basically, I am the state. Mm -hmm. I, the king, I am the state. While the Carlist king, uh, Charles VII, he said, I am the legitimacy. It's two different concepts. Uh, the, the, to mean for the king to say, um, I am the state means that he then identify itself already the person the, the the personality of the king with the state, and the legitimacy is a concept that is prior to all the, to, to to the state. You know, um, is is anchored in the traditions that they were already existing in the natural law, in divine law, in 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 all the uh, commercial and trade uh, relationships that were already pre-existing to that state. So the state is nobody to to rule what you know what i can recognize or what i cannot recognize as a concrete reality you know um so france was very much in imbued in that spirit and that's what unfortunately led to the french revolution because the revolutionaries said okay uh, if you are the absolute king why we cannot be the absolutes in plural that rule 
the, the nation. Why you and not us? We don't want you. We put ourselves, you know. But it's, this, it's the mentality. It's the mentality. Yeah, and it's, uh, when you said that about I have the state, I remember it was Obama basically said that years ago. And you would have Bush before him saying, hey, if, there, if, there, if we're going to have a dictator, I want to be it. Uh, and when you see the state, the D.C., you see the state yes. kind of being wanting to be absolute ruler now. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you can clearly clearly identify, um, and it's very sad, actually, when people, it's just, they don't, they don't see that. They, 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 they don't see it. And, and then they assume that if the state recognizes this, then it must be legal, it must be good and enforceable. Mm -hmm. And that's not the rule of, 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 of legitimacy. Right, right. The state is an artificial abstract creation, you know. We have no right to say, you know, what, what is true and what is false. You mentioned a priest that wrote a fantastic book that highly controversial in some quarters. Uh, you should everyone should buy that book, buy multiple of them. Uh, yes. Use the promo code SF15 to get fifty percent off. Link will be underneath in the show notes below the video. Liberalism is a sin. Yes. Yes, he's part of the movement, right? Yes, um, and you know we should. Um, that, that's the important thing. Carlism always fought liberalism. You know, um, liberalism is like we said before is the mother of all the modern ideologies. So it's very easy in modern times to get trapped by uh, some portions of truth that are being presented in some way or in a different light, you know, you can say, oh, um, you know, the, the social justice warrior, and he may be defending things that are perfectly fine and good, but, you know, in the backpack, there are other things that obviously are completely anti-Christian, right? Then you have the, the conservative, well, he will be defending like a certain moral code, let's put it that way, that is in uh, compatible with Christian, with the Christian faith, you know, but on the other hand, he has this I would say wrong notion about economical uh, inequalities and, and and maybe ultra capitalism. We could say that that is not Christian. So a Christian is always like 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 between waters, you know. But that situation, the origin of that situation is in liberalism, because liberalism portrays itself as the as the engine that articulates the state. Is the is the ideological engine? Is the ideas that fuel into the people, um, you know, tell them what to think, how to think, and present them with the options to choose. What about us, Catholic? What about if none of those options are Christian? Right. You know. So Carlism saw that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, and I I will say that the reason why they saw that is because uh, the liberal revolution was trying to be imposed by force mm -hmm. with a Napoleonic invasion. If it was not, if it, if, if, it will, if it will have been more subtle, uh, you know, like letting people buy into the idea and, you know, uh, I don't know, like the way people buy into trends, you know, and, 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 and things uh, nowadays in fashions, you know, because it will be a different story. But because they try to give us that jab in the, in the mouth, you know, we respond back. I love that you put a page 74, that paragraph quote from the book in there. It's one of my favorites. Uh, do you have it memorized? You want me to just read it? It's in, it's in your PowerPoint. Just go read it. 
because I'm, I'm, I'm right now I'm thinking in so many things that uh, I'm not going to get that one right. <laughs> it goes, uh, Protestantism is a dead dog. Liberalism, a living lion going about seeking whom he may devour. This dreadful doctrine is permeating society to the core. It has become a modern political creed and threatens us with a second revolution to turn the world over once again to paganism. Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely true. It's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely true. The the main, you know, people right now, um, I, I guess they 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 pick up Protestantism uh, from a point of view that is valid. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about the criticism of Protestantism, but they don't realize what was the damage uh, really done by pro the Protestant Revolution, which is not, in my view, not as much the religion, the religious aspect of it, but the breaking of the political unity between our religion and our uh, government, our, our the government of Christendom. Protestantism was a knife that broke those, and it taught to the Protestant, future Protestant princes in Germany and in all this um, area where uh, Protestantism really spread out and in the Nordic countries, that you can choose what religion you want to have. That you can choose if you want to have for your portion of land Protestantism or you want to have um, Catholicism or a mix of both. Or what do you want to do? Is giving to the prince or to the king a wrong um, duty, a wrong responsibility that doesn't belong to him. The king doesn't have that duty. The king has the responsibility and the duty before his people to recognize the true religion, to recognize that religion but not to get to choose, you know, what he wants based on human calculations, based on, oh, 95% of my people are Protestant. I should say that my state should be Protestant because that will give me um, social peace, for example. No. The truth is the truth, regardless of the number. You know, so that's what Protestantism actually, it was kind of like the, the moral um, way to help those princes to say, you know what, now I get to choose mm -hmm. what I want. There's a nice little quote you got on here from Spinoza. Uh, the best way for a state, the state to own the monopoly of moral judgments to allow people to think whatever they want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because at some point, it's clearly to everyone that somebody has to put some objective truth that we can all manage to live our lives. Mm -hmm. And if somebody is thinking and everybody is allowed to think whatever they want, well, no, pues, no worry. Here is the state. I'm going to come here and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put here some rules about how we have to live our lives so we don't kill each other. But who gets to choose those? Yeah, <laughs> who yeah. Gets to choose? yeah, who gets to do that? <laughs> you know, and what is the basis of truth and, and on those things that you, state, get to choose, you know? Yeah, because underneath that quote in, in this uh, one slide, you have, a, it looks like, I guess, a degradation from... Uh, Unity, I guess you would say, from first principle, men's independence from God, God's laws and authority, human reason is the only measure of truth, rationalism, down to the second principle, society's independence from anything that does not come from itself, supreme state, third principle, popular will as the only criterion to justify law, parliament elections to discern and implement the will of the people, fourth principle, absolute freedom of thought in politics, morals, and religion, Secular education and moral relativism. is all sequential. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's very, nothing of this happened at once. 
it happens gradually. But 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 all those elements they need each other to work. It's like a like a like a machine, you know. It's like a thinking a forklift or, or or in a tractor, you know. It needs the wheels, it needs the engine, it needs all those statements um, and concepts need to put together together, uh, you know, in order to work, you know. And and that's what that's what history that's what the past three hundred fifty years of history has taught us. Uh. I love the uh, Constitution uh, slide. Uh, do you have that um, one on top of your head, or you want me to read that one? No, I mean, um, I actually, I was discussing this with my wife yesterday. Uh, what happened with constitutions is basically like 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 the same reformulation that, of the state. You know, why this is true? Because the Constitution recognized that. No, something is true because it's true, not because the Constitution recognized that. The Constitution uh, can make something legal or illegal, but but it's not a source to say what is true and what is false. It's not, it's no, the Constitution is, is nothing to tell to God, you know, how we have to live according to his will, not the will of the Constitution, you know? Yeah, because I'm going to butcher his name. Antonio Aparisi? Oh, yeah, Aparisi and Guijarro. It's, it's hard to say. And Steve, don't worry. I got the first one for Spaniards. Yeah. Even for Spaniards. <laughs> so he, he says, what does he say about the Constitution? Or what is the great Constitution? Well, the, the reality is that what is the great Constitution? What is the, the perfect moral code of the Christian? What's the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments. And, you know, a Carlist, we are all monarchy. We believe monarchy is the most perfected form of government. Um, but in reality... Uh, there were Carlists, for example, in the 19th, in 1936, before the Spanish Civil War started, or when it was about to start, that say that they fought in that war. That say um, it's not that we hate the republic. Mm -hmm. It's not that we, you know, if the republic has granted the rights of the Catholics and let us live our lives and and live our Catholic lives and have our Catholic hospitals and our Catholic schools and our Catholic business and our Catholic culture and you know. Uh, we won't be raising ourselves in, you know, insurrecting in, uh, and, and go to war against the Republic. Is, you know, so as if you preserve, if you can find a form of government that can preserve the Ten Commandments as the moral code, there's no problem with it. It's, it's just impossible unless there is a Catholic, traditional Catholic monarchy. Even if you have, like uh, what happened in Ecuador um, for a number of years, it, it only lasts so long. You want to talk about Moreno, Garcia Moreno? Yes, yes. I mean, wonderful, wonderful, uh, heroic person, you know, and, and, and politician. But he lasts him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? It was just, it was just it two, him. Yeah, two or three terms. Three, he was killed in his third term, but it didn't well, last. Because the machine behind him oh. tells him that, hey, it's time for elections. Yeah. Or it's time for you know now you have to. I mean, is 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 the system doesn't let the system cannot let Christianity flourish and cannot let Christianity rule because if it rules, there's no system. Yeah, we yeah. go back. We go back to Christendom. We go back to the king, uh, the kingdom, the charter rights, uh, and and our and fatherland. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's for if you're not watching on thing. Well, if you're watching and listening on the MP3, here's the quote from Antonio, in 1869, the Ten Commandments, there you have the great constitution. There, This is the moral constitution of human society, which is the, which is the best political constitution. 
the one that best assures the fulfillment of a more of the moral constitution. All forms of government can be good or bad for a society, depending on whether they honor or scorn the great principles that come from God and that contain a harmonious aggregate of primordial and essential rights and duties. Political truth derives from social truth and the latter from religious truth. Our rights regarding other people derive from our duties to God. My hat off. <laughs> Your hat <Beretta> off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my chapela. Yes, I mean, what else can we say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. It's our law is God. And it doesn't mean, and, and another important thing on this is that that doesn't make the government a theocracy. Uh -huh. Carlism has nothing to do with a theocracy. We can leave that to the to the Muslims. No, I mean, the church and the king and the kingdom are two separate entities. Two separate entities with two different uh, duties and responsibilities, but they work in cooperation and in subordination because the king, uh, the king is appointed, uh, I mean, anointed by the Pope, uh -huh. you know. Um, Christ is the king of kings. So uh, there, there was a very good um, uh, story with, uh, we Spaniards, we had a king, uh, San Fernando, we, he actually, he didn't wear the crown because he said the crown belongs to Christ. Christ is my king. That's it. That's the king. That's the type of um, monarchy that was traditional monarchy. Well, I even heard, remember, uh, before Henry decided to lose his mind, that he would walk or on his knees behind, yes. the, behind yes. the cardinal, behind the, the bishops in procession in front of all his subjects. I do believe that actually the Pope, before he went mad, um, he actually gave him some, some distinction uh, as a defender of the faith. I have the book. It's he he write he goes after Luther on the on on things. It's funny when you read the especially the marriage part, because <laughs> you're like, well, he had to trash his own words on this one. Oh, yeah, no. I so the the uh, slide you have on no state, no nation, no police, but church, kingdom, and holy inquisition. Yes, yes. How do you uh, which, what do you mean by that? Well, what we mean by that um, is that the kingdom. Fatherland is not the state, it's not articulated by the state. Oh, what I mean by the state, so we can make a, a clear distinction, this is hard uh, probably to grasp for Anglo-speaking um, uh, friends, is that it's not the modern notion of a state, okay? Uh, we are talking about um, about the kingdom, we are talking about um, the guilds, uh, the fueros, uh, the, the all the traditions, uh, customs uh, that were conforming this organic society Okay, and um, you know, help me out, point me out a little bit exactly what part you want to say because I can talk about here for 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 length. For example, on the whole Inquisition, the whole Inquisition has the purpose to uh, it was the police, but there was no police in Spain. Mm -hmm. There was no, you know, that, that was invented. Um, by Ferdinand VII towards the end in Spain, uh, because the whole Inquisition, by holding those moral standards um, on, on religious values, uh, already educate the society and the normal function of, 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 the, of the people in the kingdom, you know? So you don't have to tell somebody that to steal 
this or that, whatever is wrong. Everybody knew that that was wrong because, you know, again, it's, it's part of the Ten Commandments, you know. So when religion is in the forefront of your of your heart and soul, does everything else take care of themselves, you know? Um, so that's what the Holy Inquisition was. And then when it ceases to exist, to exist and the police was uh, brought back, uh, brought, brought, you know, um, the whole the moral code changed because then the police is just going by what the values of the constitution of the values of the liberal revolution impose on the police to to uh, prosecute. Mm -hmm. You know, because correct me um, if I'm wrong. It used to be that if you were a her let's use the H word heretic, you weren't allowed to publicize that in public to course, recruit others in Spain. No, 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 of course, of course. I mean, well, but the society evolved to such a point that there was no, Spain was never infected with Protestantism or, or Gallicanism or, 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 or this, or, or, or Hansenism or, or these heresies, you know. It was always protected and there are like many books, uh, even Cervantes uh, could make, make fun of them. But there are situations where the people, you know, you just came with a Protestant idea, people would just laugh at you. It's just, it's just you were not being taken serious, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but of course, you didn't have any any ability to print or anything that because obviously that was, uh, uh, you know, not pious, <laughs> and uh, whatever it was not pious had a right to be persecuted. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's just that. Uh, Santa Cruz. Pizarian? A Pizarian? A Why no? Santa Cruz. El cura Santa Cruz. Uh, yeah, cool. one, of my, one of my favorite, Steve is one of my favorite characters um, uh, from, I do believe he's a saint. I do believe he's a saint. Um, he was a very famous and popular um, guerrilla war leader. Uh, he was a priest. He was a priest before um, he joined the fight. Mm -hmm. And and later on, towards the end of his life, he became a Jesuit. Um, and then he, he was sent to the missions in in Jamaica first, and then uh, Colombia to Pasto, where he, he converted a whole tribe of Indians over there. And they regard him with such a high uh, value that um, they consider him a saint while he was alive. And uh, he made them to build a church in honor of San Ignatius of Loyola. By the way, he actually became a Jesuit on the day on the feast of uh, San Ignatius of Loyola. Yeah. He had a, a strong devotion for him. But he, I mean, that's the that's the kind of like the the more the priestly fruits of his vocation, right? But he was a formidable guerrilla war leader. I mean, he he built from nothing uh, troops of. Uh, 30, 40, 100, 200, 500 um, soldiers that were farmers, that were, you know, I mean, we're not talking here the Marines. We are talking people that was committed to the faith, that live actually a, a, a chaste life, that, that they live, you know, something as simple as the purity, the virtue of purity. And they were like war monks. That's, that's, that's kind of like the closest I can I can put it. So what makes them so effective is that they knew the land very well. Yeah. So, you know, at that time, 
even the Carlist generals and the liberal generals, we are talking in the third, third Carlist war, they still have this notion of do the battle uh, like in the in the in the British way, you know, like we are here, you are there, we start shooting, then you respond and blah blah blah, and let's see who wins, you know, and the generals in a horse like looking from behind. So I was wondering so, about that. Why you set each other up and you all right, those guys shoot first, you like the front guy going, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't mean, want to play by that rule. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and I can see, I can see kind of the the noble aspect of of, of facing death that way. Uh, but for practical purposes, I mean, Americans are the best lesson in history for doing that. I mean, that's that's how the British Army went cuckoo back uh-huh. back home. You know, I mean, it's, the, the Cajuns, you know, and, and, and all these ambushes. You know, but the same thing happened in the Third Carlist War. So in the northern provinces, in, in the Basque provinces, Navarra, etc. Uh, Santa Cruz had this partida, his troops, you know, to manage uh, these ambushes and, and cutting the, the, the freight train supplies, um, you know, going to this town, and they were able to move very fast. So they attacked the Liberal Army on one spot, they disappear, and by the time the Liberal Army is ready to counterattack, they are in another town. You know, so he, he was very, very um, successful. He was very successful. Antonio Lazo. Antonio Moye Lazo. Eh, bueno, pues, pues eh, a, a mártir, a mártir, a mártir of the, of the Carlist ranks. Um, actually, eh, his cause of canonization was open in 1940. Hmm. Okay? And here's the deal. It still remains open. Hmm. Now, don't ask me why. Don't ask me why, but it's still open. But I think that if I tell you a couple of things about his life and martyrdom, no Catholic, no Catholics will have any doubt that uh, he's in uh, his glory, he's in, in eternal glory. Go ahead with a couple. <laughs> so, Antonio was a kid. He was not very bright in his studies, um, but he was a, a, a kid that put a lot of effort you know, um, in, in finishing them, and, and he finished. So, so he finished all his studies. But uh, there is a, a, a anecdote about when he was born. It was the Holy Week. He was born in, in Andalusia. Um, and during Holy Week, you know, in Spain, we have these processions where we have these carriages, you know, and these images of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Lord, you know, with scenes of the Passion and all that. There's some sure. cool processions you got, they have. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> pues, pues, a specific procession of our Lord in the crucifix was passing when Antonio's Moyes' um, uh, mother gave birth, gave him birth, huh. and uh, and their parents like foretold like the martyrdom of Antonio right there, huh. and, uh, and, and and look 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 what happened. No? So anyway, so from the very beginning, his his family was very patriotic. Uh, they came from Carlist Carlist um, heritage. Um, so he, at the age of 11, he started working at the train station and he was always like uh, very prone to correct anybody that blasphemed, which unfortunately is a bad custom that happened in, in Spain quite often uh, where people just for anything, you know, like they, they break a finger and they, you know, they say a, a blaspheme or things like that. Um, so he was very prone to correct them, no matter if they were younger or older. He went and with charity, you know, it's like, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, repent, uh, say a, a prayer, you know, 
you you shouldn't say that. You remind me of uh, the holy man of Tours that uh, yes, the road yes. he punched people. <laughs> yeah, but he later on, I, I think I, I don't know if he if he punched or not, but he he later on he told people to punch him instead of saying it. Yeah. He, de he developed this character because Antonio was very friend of sports and he found in sports a way to, to help other kids to stay away from temptations, uh, from the life of concupiscence. So he was very active. I mean, as soon as he could join the Carlis, he joined the Carlis, not the youth. Um, and start very, uh, very active role with the merchandising uh, here and there, helping in the uh, you know in the marches and, uh, and in the uh, meetings and gatherings, and to the point that actually, by that time, the the communists were turning so violent that uh, this you know Antonio and other kids they they became like a they they made they create a networking of spies. That they went infiltrated in the in the communist gatherings, uh, communist meetings, and uh, and try to find out which church is going to be burned next, or which uh, what is the priest that we we should tell the Carlis to go and protect because he is the next one in the list, you know. So he he was doing those things, and that's what made him known, you know, uh, uh, later, you know. Um, but the the core of the martyrdom happened towards nineteen, nineteen thirty six. Um, he, he was uh, he was put in jail uh, before for spreading uh, Carlist propaganda in the train station, and during that time, um, and I'm talking all of this by memory. He actually started sinking in the jail in the cell, mm -hmm. and they told they, they, he was rebuked. You know you can't do that. You know so then he started like with a piece of chalk, start writing the Salve Regina and other prayers in the wall. Then his brother came to jail, another Carlist came to jail, and then they started uh, having this strong devotion of to the Rosary. So they were saying the Rosary, you know? Um, and then when, uh, when he was released, then uh, he was able actually to receive communion. So he received communion from three days. Uh, and towards the third one, I believe it was August the 8th or 11th, um, People reported that he had like a very um, pious looking when he actually was receiving communion. And, um, you know, like like he looked different, you know, with a different light. And, um, well, soon enough, he was attending mass in a, in a um, Carmelite convent that was about to be assaulted by the communists. Hmm. Actually, they surrounded the Antonio and other Carlis that were there, uh, they saw what it was coming. And then first they, they found a way out for the woman and the mothers, you know, and nuns that were there, you know. So Antonio became the last person to leave uh, that uh, combat. He actually didn't want to leave. Then by the time the communists came in, uh, they pulled him out. Huh. Well, they uh, start torturing him, and the the main thing was for him to blaspheme and to to deny the faith publicly. And every time they try to hey, say, you know, a barbarity, you know, he said, "I won't say that." Viva Cristo Rey, Viva España, Viva el Rey. Um, so they start to do physical torture on him, and they cut one ear, then they cut the other ear. And, and this is, imagine, an excruciating pain, you know? And they were like, deny the faith, you know, deny the faith, say this, say Viva Russia, you know, communism, whatever. And he's no. And, and, and then they, they cut his nose, uh, they pull both eyes, 
And then um, they started striking with um, um, knives. Mm -hmm. And finally, they shot him. Now, this happened in the street outside of the convent. So obviously, surrounded by houses, everyone was behind the window. Everybody saw what was happening. I mean, there were multiple witnesses. Um, And it's said that when he he was shot, um, he was in a crucifix position. And that's how he fell flat. Even when he was down, soldiers, they still, communists, they were still poking him. Um, well, this is, that's what happened. That's the martyr. Um, not, not too much time after that, not, not, this is the miracle, the first miracle. The national troops, uh, you know, the Carlist troops and, uh, and, and other national troops, they took over uh, Peñaflor. They were able to secure um, the 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 town. They kicked out the, the the communists, and they were able to celebrate mass the very next day. And that happened like I, I mean, I'm talking like few hours after Antonio Mollelazo was uh, killed. Wow! Wow! L- like that, like that, and 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 then the story obviously was was spread out like fire among yeah. the among the the Carlist troops and the, and the Catholic uh, people, and then some prayer cards were were done, and people start asking for his intercession and pray for him. And it's an incredible story. I mean, a movie should be done. A movie should be done about uh, Antonio. I because I think there's some people that do movies. So yeah, there's. <laughs> Hey, oh, I, pues I can add that one and Cura Santa Cruz. That, that two, with those two. There's enough to keep you busy. Yeah. Hey, Steve, with those two, we convert half of the world like in five minutes. Uh, okay, okay, let's give it a shot. Um, <laughs> moving up to present day, who is the, yes. is there, is there a Carlos claimant to the throne? Is there a current one? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and he, he, and that's the beauty of Carlism. You know, it's not something that, um, belong to the past is is something that that is there mm-hmm. okay is there today uh the the rightful and, and and current climate to the throne of spain is prince sixtus henry of bourbon and parma um he's the son of the the youngest son of um prince xavier uh bourbon and parma who is the one that was praying with when he saw san Pius the 10th levitating mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so he's his youngest son, and um, he has been the the rightful claimant for a while. Um, you know, um, it, it should be pointed out that he was expelled uh, from this the from the Franco's Spain uh, at that time in the in the fifties because he joined the special the Spanish special forces, the Legion Española, but he joined it with a with a pseudonym, uh, Enrique de Aranjuez. And when Franco found out, uh, you know, he kicked him out. Um, the entire Bourbon family mm-hmm. uh, was, I mean, that's, maybe that's for another uh, podcast or, uh, or talk, but um, yeah, Franco was never a friend of the Carlist. And, uh, and the reality is that um, his legacy, although had very good things from the moral perspective, uh, had very bad decisions that actually took Spain to what is right now. Um, he basically consolidated the liberal revolution, the fundamentals of the liberal revolution. He just cleaned up the country. I mean, he just removed all the chaos and, and, and all the disorder that the Second Republic brought. Um, but at the end of the day, 
you know, the liberal revolution just came full speed after after him. Um, so yeah, they spelled the, the Bourbon family um, several times. And uh, Don Sixtus de Bourbon has been an incredible Christian knight. That's what I can define him. Uh, because he not only from the charity work that he has done in Lebanon and the Middle East and 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 joining uh, different conflicts where Christians were at the stake, um, he also wanted to join the the Malvinas war, going as a voluntary, but he couldn't. They didn't let him. Um, you know, so he has been always there, and also he has been uh, until he had suffered uh, a car accident. Um, that you know diminished his physical faculties. Uh, he was traveling uh, everywhere, you know, everywhere to consolidate um, uh, a Christian foundation of society, you know, and strength the Carlis, the remnant of Carlos Carlis families that are all, all over, old Spain, new Spain. So yeah, yeah. Final one: Has the movement influenced the states, the U.S., the United States of America? I would say yes, and in a way that Americans still don't realize. Um, I, I would say that um, the main, the most outstanding defender and proponent of the Carlist, and I would say here Carlist, Carlism as a philosophy, okay, as a way to understand uh, life and a way to understand our faith, uh, has been uh, the late professor, um, Mr. Frederick Wilhelmsen, mm -hmm. I mean, he he. I mean, he understood Carlism very well, very well, and he was a um, friend of um, of the king of uh, uh, Prince Xavier um, Bourbon, and he he went to Spain and and he he stayed in Avila uh, teaching at the university. Then he taught at the university in Navarra, um, and and he was imbued of all these. Um, Carlism, and he brought that back to the States where he ended up uh, teaching at the University of Dallas in the Faculty of um, uh, Politics. So I would say that he, he and he has been a, a prolific, has been a prolific author of many, many books. Um, as a personal thinker, I would say that that's the most influential person in the United States. Also, his daughter, Alexandra, has been uh, and is a, an amazing lady uh, that has been a uh, producing a lot of, uh, in the past uh, and, and nowadays, a, a lot of um, good works about Carlism and the history of Carlism. Oh. What university are they at? The, Frederick Wilkinson came to study at the University of Dallas, the Catholic University of Dallas. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And he was, I mean, an institution himself in, in that university. Uh, and um, he actually he had himself written in his will that he wanted to be buried uh, with a rosary in his hands and the red beret huh. and he was and I, I, did you say that the uh, Blessed Carl and the Empress Zita are involved in this? Yes, yes, uh, because Empress Zita was uh, Prince Xtus, uh, sorry, Prince uh, Xavier of Bourbon sister huh. they were actually present at the wedding really <laughs> yes 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 so the, the the relation i mean it cannot be closer you know it cannot get closer uh yeah yeah and, and presita i mean very dear uh, to all the carries family oh. obviously obviously yes yes yes
And actually, uh, there is a book uh, written by Mr. Uh, Charles Colomb that about Bless Carl, mm -hmm. and he talk about the the Sixtus affair. Okay. Uh, there is a chapter called yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the Sixtus affair. Well, Sixtus was um, uh, also uh, Empresita's brother, uh, brother of Xavier Bourbon. I mean, they were brothers. And they, they were trying to secure the peace uh, for the before the First World War happened. You know, they tried to do that. That's the mission that Bless Carl gave it to them, you know. So they tried to do their inner workings, you know, to secure that. And oh, that's what is known as the Sixth Suffer. Yeah, yeah, Wilson, uh, President Wilson of the U.S., he did not like uh, Blessed Carl's proposition. Well, there, I've heard before that that was the whole point of it, was to dethrone Carl and get the Carl. last Catholic emperor out. Oh. Claro, that's, that's, the, that's, 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 that's the liberal revolution. You know, they work by stages, you know? So they have to get rid of the monarchy. Mm -hmm. They have to get rid of the political system that, sees, that, that serves as a protector of the church, you know? So then when the church is naked in front of everyone, they can go and just rain it in. I uh, appreciate all this uh, knowledge that you're dropping on us. Any Is there any website, anything else that people could go to to find out more? Or? Yes, yes, yes. I will recommend um, um, there is a new digital platform called La Esperanza, the hope, that mostly is, uh, is in Spanish, but it's becoming also introducing articles, uh, traditional articles in English that are going to uh, talk about many different aspects, uh, politics, religion, uh, what's going on in the, in the news. It's a newspaper, but it's a, it's a Carlist newspaper, which the Carlists have a long tradition of doing it. Huh. Okay. Um, so I would say that, and then I would say they can follow uh, American Requete um, 78 at gmail.com which is the the address the email address for the carlist circle in texas hmm. so if they have any questions about it i mean they can dump into into that and uh, if anybody and ask be... about getting a red beretta would... <laughs> oh, I mean, you know i don't like to buy on amazon but amazon has the has uh, multiple options uh you just type french or, or basque beret I prefer to say Basque because French. Um, but you, you put Basque Beret and uh, you have multiple colors to choose. And, and obviously it depends on how much you want to spend. You know, uh, for the kids, because, you know, I know my kids, uh, my children have one. You know, the, the, the ladies, they have in white, uh, the kids in black, navy blue or red. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good idea because there are a specific feasts in the liturgical calendar that are attached to the Carlist, like Epiphany, the Feast of Christ the King, uh, where it's conducive, you know, to wear your red chapel. That your makes a lot of to, sense, yeah. To mass. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, very good. Eduardo, appreciate your time, man. Oh, Steve, it has been a pleasure. I enjoyed this time with you, and uh, I know that I talk too much, uh, but, uh, but you know, uh, you are such a great conductor, you know, that you just get me talking here. Keep it going. I could, we could go all day. And without alcohol. <laughs> you, I mean... <laughs> I appreciate that, Steve. Uh, no problem. Appreciate you. You take care.